Here, here's the deal. Here's what I want to start with today. I'm going to pray, but I want to submit this thought to you. That submitting your life to God, submitting your life to Jesus, is not the end of the story. But rather, it's the beginning of eternity. It's not the end of the story. It's not the last thing. It's not the thing that you've done. It's the beginning of eternity. Let's pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for where you want us to go today. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for good problems. I thank you for the 20, at least 20 families that are going to say, that's me. That's me. I'll make that move and make room for people in this 10 o'clock. And I'll go to 8.30 and 11.30 and I'll bring people to fill those up. And God, we love having those problems. So we thank you that you're trusting us with souls. We thank you that you're trusting us with people as we draw closer to you. And God, I pray that you would move in our lives today. Take us where you want us to go. Teach us what you want us to know. We're yours. Mold us. Make us into what you want us to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, can you high five two people around you and say, I'm about to grow into this thing. It'll make sense in a minute. About to grow into this thing. Some of y'all are like, that's a weird phrase. It's odd to say. Don't know what I mean. Hey, when I was a kid growing up, uh, I had an older brother, still do. He's an amazing, amazing guy. He has a PhD in biology and chemistry, way smarter than me, way smarter than me. I got the looks, he got the brains, poor guy. And, and I don't say much for him. And uh, no, I, I love him. I, I, I grew up with hand-me-downs. Anybody else grow up with hand-me-downs? You know what I'm saying? Like I wore my brother's clothes. I wore everybody else's clothes. It was older than me. And uh, I was fine with it. I'm still fine with it. My kids do it now. I'm fine with it. I don't care. It saves me money. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and, but I was this guy that like, even back then I liked shoes. And so I would, I, I remember specifically, I think it was middle school. I had a friend that was like a size and a half, maybe two sizes bigger than me. And he had these shoes that he didn't really like, but they were brand new, and he'd already worn them, so they couldn't get rid of them. So I was like, give them to me. I'll wear them. And so if you've never pulled this move, then you've never really lived in life. I'm just letting you know. You take those shoes, you put them on, you figure out how much toilet paper you need to ball up. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? And you pack it in the toe of that shoe so that it fills it in and just to the right spot. You know what I'm saying? And you wear it. And man, I wore those shoes so proudly, y'all. I look like Bozo the Clown walking around with them shoes on. <laughs> Two sizes, too daggum big for my little baby foot, you know. And I wore them to school. I played basketball in them. Not well, but I played basketball in them, right? I, I ran around the house. And my mom even looked at me at one point. I, I remember this. She even looked at me at one point. She goes, she said, you know, I'll buy you shoes that actually fit. And I was like, no, because they're not these shoes. These shoes are amazing. And uh, you ever get your eyes so fixed on something, you got to have them, and you'll find a way to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, you want it. And here's what I know now, looking back, that everybody that saw me knew that my foot was not that big. It didn't even fit my body. Like, it looked like I had stilts on, but I was walking on them the wrong way. I was walking on skis. It was ridiculous. My foot didn't fit. It didn't work. It wasn't there. And, and here's what I know. In our spiritual lives, some of us are trying to fit something that's too big for us, and we're trying to fit our foot in it anyway, and then we want to know why it's uncomfortable when we wear it. We want to know why in the world, because after all, don't we want everything now? Anybody with me in that? You want everything now. If God's promised you something, I want it now. Hey, God, I read this in the Bible. I want it now, because there's personal promises from God, and there's Corporate promises from God. Corporate promises, you need to get in the Word, and you need to listen to His Spirit, and you need to know. And Man, personal promises are maybe God's promised you something about your marriage. 
Maybe God's promised you something about your kids. Maybe God's promised you something about an influence or your business or your job or your ministry or whatever it is, right? And every time we hear a promise from God and we know that it's there, you know what you want? You want it to happen tomorrow, right? Anybody? I'm not by myself, right? We want this thing now. And what we'll do if we're not careful because we're humans is we'll find a way to shoehorn our way into something that we're not ready for. We'll pack some toilet paper in the toe of that bad boy and look like a fool wearing it around because we think, after all, I need to have it what? Now. I need it at this moment. And, and I want to talk to you about this idea, right, of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Now, let me say this. If you're in here and you do not have a relationship with God today, the only thing that is asked of you is not spiritual maturity. It's a spiritual step because you're already a child of God. God already loves you where you're at, no matter if you've accepted that or not. He loves you right where you are. It's going to be all right. The only thing that is asked of you first is a step to go, I will receive that love from God and my position as a part of his family. That's your first step. But for some of us that are living a relationship with Jesus and with God our Father, we need to understand that we got to grow up a little bit. And I don't mean that in the derogatory way. I mean that in the very literal way. Way. You know what I'm saying? We need some spiritual maturity about what we're doing and about who we are. And because here's the truth here's what uh, maturity is maturity or spiritual maturity is not about time. Can I tell you something? I don't really care how long you've been serving God because that doesn't mean you're mature at all. It, it, I, it doesn't matter if you gave your life to Jesus 30 years ago. I know some people that have lived for God their entire life and they're incredibly immature spiritually. Well, that's judgy. No, I can judge by fruits. The Bible actually tells me that. Are you anybody in the room besides me today? But the tr- it's, not, it's not about time. It's about growth. It's about growth. It, it, here's what maturity is, like in the, in the real worldly sense. It's, it's the ability or the uh, opportunity to say no to good so I can say yes to great. Or I can say no to now so I can in, encounter something greater later. Are you with me today? That's what maturity is. Maturity is the ability to say no to spending a max amount on your credit card so that you can say yes to financial stability. It's the ability to say no to sex before marriage so that I can enter marriage with purity. Somebody, anybody. It's the ability to say no, whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like wherever you're at in your life, you know what that is. I don't. It's the ability to say no so that I can say yes later. It's the ability, spiritual maturity, taking that definition, spiritual maturity is the ability to put God's ways above mine. God's wants above mine. God's will above mine. It's the ability to say, you know what, God? I don't really, like, I want to do this. But your word clearly says that that is a corporate conviction that all that Christians should go by. So I'm not going to do that. I'll say no to that that I want to do so I can say yes to what you want me to do. God, I, w- I know you've told me that, God, my struggle personally, because there's personal convictions, cor- corporate convictions. My personal conviction, God, is I should stay away from alcohol because it's a struggle for me and I can't have one. I have to have too much and it sends me on this destructive path. God, I should say no to the party today so that I can say yes, right, to health tomorrow. Come on, somebody. It's, it's things like that, spiritual maturity. It's God's way above our way. In fact, you can say it like this. Maturity is knowing the difference in knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is when you're full of information. 
Wisdom is the ability to properly use the information. Knowledge is whenever we read the news and hear the reporters and we can be full of information. I'm not telling you that's not. I study and I'm a studier. I'm a learner. I read articles. I read books. I listen to podcasts. I listen to sermons. I learn all the time. I just got back from three days with other pastors learning from some of those guys. And like, I'm just telling you, I'm a learner. I think that's important, but it does me no good if I don't learn how to properly use it at the same time. And I think we've got a lot of people that love puffing up their information, their knowledge, but they have no idea how to use it. Are you following me today? And, and, and the problem is, is that's not spiritual maturity because information comes from time. Wisdom comes from growth. Knowing how to property, properly use something. In fact, I love what Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says. We're going to Exodus 23 in a second. But Philippians 2, 23 uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's writing about spiritual maturity. And here's what he says. He says, so then, my beloved, and he loves the people of Philippi. His heart is there. He says, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. I, I, I actually love that verse because he says, you've always obeyed when I'm around, but now you're beginning to learn how to live out your faith when nobody's there to tell you what to do. That is spiritual maturity. Because who I do it for is who I worship. So if I only grow spiritually for my girlfriend or boyfriend, guess who you worship? It ain't, it ain't God. If I only worship when a certain style of worship is played, guess what I worship? Y'all losing me all of a sudden, you know what I'm saying? So it's in that, he says, not just in my presence, but in my absence. Now he says this, but now actually much more in my absence. You're doing better listening to God when I'm not around. You know what they say the sign of a great leader is? Is what happens when the leader's gone. That's how you know how great of a leader you are. Here's what he says. He says, not much more in my absence. Work out, I love this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say, I'll figure it out for you. Hey, come to me. I'll tell you exactly what verses to read. I'll tell you how to pray. I'll tell you what songs to listen to and worship to. I'll tell you how to handle every situation. You tell me. No, he goes, hey, you, you're doing great listening to God. Now work out your salvation. You find out the corporate convictions that are for the entire church and the entire body of Christ. You find out the personal convictions that you need to stay away from, but your neighbor doesn't necessarily need them shoved down their throat. <laughs> Come on, somebody. He said, you work out your salvation. Don't wait on me. And he says, work it out with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Because we want to get it right. Because you don't ever, this is a good thing to live by, don't ever put God's name on something he never told you to do. Don't ever sign God's name when he didn't sign it. Don't ever put God's stamp on something he didn't put his stamp on. So we, we work it out and we go, this is what I'm learning through God. Well, you better do it with fear and trembling because you better make sure you, if you say it's from God, you better make sure it's from God. Right, And then here's what the, the, the last verse, verse 13, uh, uh, continues to say. For it is God who is at work in you. He goes, hey, listen, I'm not working in you. It ain't the apostle Paul. It ain't Pastor Paul. It ain't me that's working in you. It is God who's working in you for to both to will or to make happen and to work for his good pleasure. Spiritual maturity is learning that it ain't about your platform, but his pleasure. 
Spiritual maturity is not building my platform. Spiritual maturity is building his pleasure and his glory and his goodness and pointing people to the cross. He goes, listen, you better do it with fear and trembling. And spiritual maturity is measured. you got to know this. Spiritual maturity is measured by how we live scripture, not by how many we know. So you tell me I shouldn't memorize scripture? No, you absolutely should. The Bible says hide the word in your what? In your heart. You have to know it in order to do that. I think you do need to memorize it. I think you, but here's the reality. If I memorize 100 scriptures but don't live one, what good is it? I'm full of knowledge, but I have no wisdom. I have a lot of information, but I don't know how to utilize it. See, that's why I think this setting is so important. I love online church. In fact, our online platform is great, and, and I love the people that are there. But I just think you miss something when you're not in the room. I think you miss something when you're not gathering with people that worship together and hold your arms up together and worship and pray together and, and cheer each other on and go, hey, we're, we're learning about the same God. But can I tell you something? My job is not your spiritual maturity. My job is to point you in the direction of spiritual growth. My job is to have this organism, this living organism called the church that helps you grow and then impacts the community that we call home. That's my job as the pastor, to develop leaders and disciples and help you live out everything God's got for you. But we can't do that if we come to church on Sunday, listen to a sermon. That's the only time we open our Bibles. Come on, somebody. We're going to talk for real today. Because how many of you leave here and go to lunch on, on, on Sundays, right? There's like five people raising your hand. Do you guys not eat? Everybody, I fast every Sunday. I don't eat a thing. No, you do, right? You go to lunch on Sundays. Now, how many of you, that's the last meal you eat until the next Sunday? No! That's not even the last meal I eat until 3 o'clock that afternoon. I'm chowing down on a cosmic brownie, praise God. Yeah, little Debbie. I got in an argument with a pastor this week, little Debbie or hostess. I was like, you can kick hostess in the trash can. Little Debbie got it all day. Let's do this. They're like, the cupcakes. I'm like, the cupcakes, light them on fire. Give me a cosmic brownie. Anyway, sorry. I'm passionate about some things. But the point, the point is, you don't eat on Sunday and wait till the next Sunday to eat. Why do we do that to our spirits? Because you know your body can't last that way. Can I tell you something? Your spirit can't either. And you're a spirit or a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. Come on. You got to feed that soul. You got to get it in connection with the Creator and with God, the Father. And some of us feel really empty and hungry all the time in a, in a deep way, and we're trying to figure it out and figure out why. Can I tell you why? It's because we're not connecting through the week. Because we only worship whenever we like the song. Honey in the Rock, Friday night, they sang that. My wife leaned over to me. She goes, Babe, she goes, Baby, you got to calm down. I know this is your jam right now. She was like, You're already in the middle of the aisle, jumping up and down and distracting everybody with your offbeat claps. You got to chill. And I looked at her, I was like, yeah, that's my jam, man. I, I, honey in the rock, because when you're in a rock in a hard place, all you got to do is let Jesus touch the rock, and honey comes flowing out of that bad boy. I'm just telling you something. I love that song, man. And, but when that's the only time I worship, my soul's going to be hungry. I'm going to be thirsty. I'm going to get hangry real quick on a deep level. And, and the truth is, is, it's not how many scriptures we know. It's how do we live what we know. How do we live out the messages that God's given us on Sundays? How do we live out the messages we're learning in our life groups? How do we live out what God's speaking to us in our personal quiet times? Because here's the problem. Here's the danger, y'all. Without spiritual maturity, the Bible, 
the Bible uh, becomes what we want it to be rather than a guidebook for our lives. Can I, can I be real honest with you? You can take any stance you want to in life. Any stance. I'm telling you, any stance. You pick a popular stance that, that you want to have, and you can find a scripture to back up what you want. You can. Even if it's wrong, you can find a scripture to back it up. It's called cherry picking. And the problem is, is the Bible is not a series of scriptures. The Bible is a story of redemption and grace and the love of a father that never gives up on his kids. And that story is a bunch of pieces that are woven together with a scarlet thread that looks like the blood of Jesus off the cross. And it's all woven back together all over again. So when I cherry pick scriptures... And I make it say what I want without spiritual maturity. The Bible is here to back up my stance. My stance is not here to back up the Bible. Spiritual maturity means that I filter what I want to believe through what he's already set. Are you with me today? And you don't, can you, can I, can I just be, well I've already been blunt with you today. Here's the truth. The truth of the matter is he didn't ask your opinion about whether you agreed with it or not. He doesn't care if you agree with it. He cares if you'll be obedient to it. That's spiritual maturity. That's what spiritual growth looks like. And I've been stuck in Exodus chapter 23 for a week. I had a completely different message. Y'all, it was good. I had three points. It was good. Man, it was going to be so helpful. And then I read Exodus chapter 23. And I was like, this ain't the message. And the Lord just spoke to me. I've been reading it every day for a week. I texted my wife. I was on a retreat with some pastors. I texted her. I was like, I can't quit thinking about this thing. This thing's messed me up. In Exodus chapter 23, it's a story of a promised land that the Israelites were promised between the Euphrates River and the River of Egypt. And they're heading in that direction, and God is speaking to them. In Exodus chapter 23, he's speaking to them, and he's giving them instructions, and he tells them, I'm going to give you the land. I'm go Like, it's already, I promised it to you when I promise. I don't lie. It's yours. And he tells them how he's going to do it, and it looks different than we would think. And he tells them how they're going to conquer it and inhabit the land. And he said, I'll go before you. Can I just go ahead and tell you that if God's promised you something, he's already gone before you you and cleared the path and he's already got the promise sitting there it's not a past tense thing it's a present tense thing right and he's telling them all this stuff and he said I'll go before you but it didn't look quite like they thought and so we get down to I encourage you to go back and read Exodus 23 but I'm only going to read verses 29 and 30 today in, in, in verses 29 and 30 we're going to back up a little bit and go through it for the next 10 minutes it says this I will not so he's talking about the promised land he's talking to the Israelites he says I will not drive them out before you in a single year. He says that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Verse 30. He says, I will drive them out. And some of you, uh, I will drive them out before you. Some of you need to underline this, these three words. Little by little. In, in my Bible, I underlined that and then I boxed this next word. Until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. He, he, he's talking to him. He didn't say the promise isn't going to happen, did he? 
He's, he didn't say, I'm not going to deliver the land. He didn't say, I'm not going to bring to you what I told you I'd bring to you. He didn't say that I lied. He didn't say I was just trying to get you out of your comfort zone. He didn't say, I just want to see what you would do. He didn't say, I just wanted to get you excited. In fact, he never said anything other than, I will bring you to the land. But here's what he said. I'm not going to drive them out in a year. I'm not going to do it in one year. I'm not going to do it like that lickety split. Don't look back. That's an old song. You're welcome. The truth of the matter is, I'm not going to do it in a year. The reason I'm not going to do it in a year is he tells you. There's logic to God, too. You do know that, right? There's practicality to God, too. He says, I'm not going to do it in a year. So that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Does anybody, I already asked this, but does anybody else absolutely despise process? Like, you want everything now, right? Don't you? I'm not the only one, am I? I want everything now. If somebody promises me something, I, I think it should happen tomorrow. If, if not today. I've changed. I'm a better person. Okay? I want that to happen yesterday. I, I, I promise that I'm going to do, I don't know, whatever. I promise you a million dollars. Okay, great. Where's it at? Hand it to me. I don't go to the bank. I don't need you to go to the bank. I need you to have it in your hand. You know what I'm saying? Like, whatever that promise is, I'm going with extremes on purpose. And he, and he, and I want it to happen today, but he says, I'm not going to do it in a year. I'm not going to do it quickly because, watch this, do you know what happens if you go into a forest and you remove a certain portion of wildlife from that forest immediately like that? It shocks the ecosystem of the forest. Trees will die, plants will die, other wildlife will die. Why? Because everything around that now begins to be thrown off because you've removed something from the ecosystem or the atmosphere of what was making it thrive. And God goes, I'm not going to do it in a year. I'm not going to do it lickety-split. I'm not going to do it like that. Here's what I'm going to do. I need you to understand I'm going to do it little by little. Why? Because the beasts of the field will devour everything in the land if there's nobody there to take care of the land. He goes, follow this. You're not ready to walk into the promised land yet. The very place I promise you, you're not ready for. So I have to keep somebody keeping your seat warm in your promise. Because if not, everything that's there will die and what you were meant to enjoy will be destroyed. See, we get jealous of people that are doing things that we feel like God promised us to do. And we get mad when it don't happen like that. But maybe it ain't got nothing to do with them. Maybe you hadn't grown into it yet. Maybe it ain't time for you to inhabit the land. And if they leave, then everything you were meant to enjoy will destroy you because it ain't time yet. Little by little. He ain't going to do it in a year. Can I tell you something? You, I know. Grandma, you've been praying for that grandson for five years. And you're wondering, when is God going to hear you? Oh, he hears you. But it don't mean it will be done in a single year. Mom, I know you've been seeking God over your husband. Husband, you've been seeking God over your wife. You've been waiting on check. Can I tell you, that don't mean it's going to happen in a year. It ain't your time, it's my time. It ain't my time, it's God's time. It ain't our time, it's his time. It's all God's timing that makes it all take place. Is anybody in the room today? Your promise doesn't have to be delayed unless it's just not time. Because if he did it too fast, it would destroy Everything about the promise. I love the fact that he goes in and he says this. He says, he says, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to preserve it. I'm going to take care of it. All that good stuff. That's good. We understand that. And then he says, I, but I will drive them out before you. 
So before you get there, they'll be gone. Why are you worried about what you're not even going to encounter? That's a word right there. He said, I'll drive them out before you get there. You won't encounter them and it won't bother you. Some of y'all are so worried about what isn't even going to happen in your life. You're stressing about and you're on anxiety medicine about things that isn't even real. Come on, I'm, I, I'm not against that stuff. I'm not against that stuff. I think doctors need to be involved, but I'm just telling you, some of us, we just create stress in our mind about something God said that we wouldn't even encounter. We ain't even got to worry about that stuff. Listen, some of us just need to sit in the Word and know what God promised us and be okay with that. Anybody in the room today? I know, some people are like, what's going on in this place? He said, I'll drive them out before you, and then he says, little by little. I think one of my million-dollar ideas is going to be this. I'm going to create a robot. And I'm going to create a robot that will clean up all the mess after you cook. Put it in the dishwasher. Turn the dishwasher on. Listen, they got Roombas now. We got a Ronda the Roomba. And our a robot that vacuums. It's incredible. It's like the best. I watch it. I'll sit in the recliner. I'm like, do your work, Rhonda. You good, girl. I'm good with it. You know what I'm saying? Watching baseball. I hate process, y'all. I hate. Pro- I like to cook. I hate the process of cooking. I like to travel. I hate the process of getting there. You know what I'm saying? If it's over an hour and a half, I'm going to complain about it the entire time I'm doing it. Can't stand it. Hate every second of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like to go to the beach. I hate carrying 17 pounds of different random stuff on my back and in a cart. I hate the process of packing it up. I like going on vacation. I don't like packing. And then, I don't like unpack. You know what I'm saying? I hate process. Anybody with me in the room today? I hate process. But here's the thing. If I forego the process, I will forfeit the process, progress. See, he says, little by little, that's the process. If I forego the process, I forfeit progress. I don't grow through it. I don't figure it out. You know how I know how to pack my wife's car and SUV with 17,000 different tons of stuff for vacation? Because I've had to figure it out over time. Maybe some words slipped out. (laughs) Calm down. I'm the preacher. I don't do that. No, maybe I had thoughts I shouldn't have had. Maybe I got mad at my wife when I shouldn't have. Maybe, maybe I broke a toy by throwing it on the ground one time. Y'all don't act holy on me today. But I learned through the process. You know what I'm saying? And here's the thing. We say this all the time. God loves you where you are. But he loves you way too much to leave you there. In other words, he wants you to go through a process that brings you to progress. God tells the Israelites, hey, there's, there's little by little, moment by moment, experience by experience, process by process. And when you get there, here's how you know you're, you're there. Here's how you know you're ready. Here's Because I just think you don't just achieve promises. I think you grow into them now. I think you grow into them. Here's what I mean by that. I, I, I think some of us, we hold ourselves accountable to such a high level it, it, because we see everybody else there. But God's like, I just need you to go through the process and not just understanding how to act, but why you act that way. And why you do it that way. And why you do those things. Because if you don't, the paycheck you're begging God for will end up making you bankrupt. The platform you're asking God for will tear your character down to such a place that you will forfeit every bit of influence that you've ever had. It's all a farce for fame rather than a character building moment for impact.
He said, hey, I need you to go through the process. I need you to get through this thing to learn this thing. Because here's what I know. In my flesh, in your flesh, in us, we can go far and we can go fast. But in the spirit, I can go far and I will go longer. It's about sustainability in the impact and not burning out bright. I've watched too many pastors and churches and leaders burn out by the time they're 40, forfeit family, forfeit ministry, forfeit church, forfeit money, forfeit friends, forfeit fame. Why? Because they worried about burning bright rather than burning long. I've seen it with CEOs. I've seen it with mom and pops all over the place. He goes, little by little. He will love you where you are, and he does. But he never wants you to stay there. That's why I was rescued, and I gave my life to Jesus, laying in an ICU bed after binging alcohol for weeks and experimenting with other stuff and treating people, just doing all kinds of things. And I gave my life back to the Lord for real this time in an ICU room, but I'm not there anymore. I'm not there emotionally. I'm not there mentally. I'm not there spiritually. I'm not there physically. I'm better than I've ever been in all those areas because of process. And then here's what he says. Watch this. You know how? You know that you're growing? Until you become what? Fruitful. Fruitfulness is an act of sustained or long-term maturity. You ever planted a seed and got fruit immediately? No, it takes time. But it takes growth. The plant has to dig roots. That's why you need to be in a church. That's why you need to be in a life group. That's why you need to serve. You've got to dig some roots down. That plant has to get some sustainability about it, and then fruitfulness comes out. What is, what is fruitfulness? We'll go look up the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a couple months. But fruitfulness is the ability to properly steward what you have in your hand. And he says, you will go through little by little the process until you have proven that you are fruitful enough to take possession of what I've given you. We want it now. But we got to grow into it. See, here's the thing. Can I be real? When we first started this church, when we first started this church, I thought we were going to be a 1,000 people within the first month. I could preach. My wife could lead worship. I knew how to run videos and have cool things going on, and our kids' ministry was great. But if we would have, it would have destroyed me. I don't know if I'd have the family that I have anymore. I don't even know if this church would be around. But I had to mature. I had to get into the Word. I had to get into the Bible. I had to figure this thing out. Here's what fruitfulness is. Let me give you these thoughts. Fruitfulness is how do we steward it. So here's some questions about fruitfulness. How will I steward what I have? Will I steward it or will it steward me? I love actually what Dave Ramsey says when he talks about budgeting and financial security in your life. He says this, you either tell every dollar where to go or every dollar will tell you what to do. You know what I'm talking about. You get into debt and you have no financial security. And so now it tells you how to live your life. And you're playing catch up forever. 
How will I steward it? Steward it is just managing. How do I manage what I've got? Because you can have something good and you can hurt a lot of people. So how will I steward it? Here's another one. What kind of, am I going to build the right platform with it? Am I going to build the right platform? Because if your platform is based on your performance, it's the wrong platform. You know how I know that? Because if this platform was built on my performance, y'all would be sorely disappointed in this church. I'm not the best preacher. I can't lead worship. I'm not the best prayer. I'm not the, I do the best I've got. And I give you everything I've got. But it ain't built on my performance. It's built on a family coming together and locking arms and going out after a mission to move at 10 o'clock to another service so we can reach more people because we got a community to reach with the goodness of Jesus. That's what it's built on. That's all it can be built on or else it will fall. So what kind of platform am I going to build? Can I see past myself? Am I obsessed with the gifts that he's given me or am I, am I obsessed with the giver, the one that gives it in the first place? Here, here's a fourth question. I'll leave you with this one. Have I developed the disciplines for long impact or short fame? Long impact or short fame. One takes character. One takes crazy. Can I tell you something? It's not hard. It's not hard to draw a crowd. Just be crazy enough. People will come. You'll be famous real quick. But if you got to hype something, just hype hope. Hype the hope of Jesus. Not hope uh, Hope Kelly that's sitting on the front row, Pastor Chris's wife. I'm not talking about hope Kelly. Hope the hope, hype the hope of Jesus. Not your hype, but his hope. What are you going to celebrate? Last thing. A good thing at the wrong time it can be a bad thing. Can I give you a, a real example? It's kind of nasty for a minute. I'm sorry. I had a surgery several years ago. I've had several with my heart stuff. And I had a sur- surgery several years ago, and I came out of it after, after some heavy anesthesia. And when you come out of that, they tell you, don't eat very fast. You know why they tell you not to eat very fast? Yeah, you get sick. And so I came out of surgery, and uh, I was starving, y'all. And one of the things you need to know about your pastor is I love peanut butter and jelly. I just love a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I don't know why. I love a good one, man. You, you mix it right. You have touched my soul. They show up. They got a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a pack of graham crackers. Praise God. Those things are great. And a thing of apple juice. And I hadn't eaten in a long time. Y'all, I ate that peanut butter and jelly in like three bites. And Megan looked at me. She was like, babe, don't you think you should slow down? I was like, no, give me another one. <laughs> so I ate the sandwich, ate the graham crackers, drank the thing of juice, And I blame the nurses for this one because they brought me another peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I ate that one in like four bites. I had to slow down on that one. Four bites. Y'all, like 10 minutes later, I I got sick as a dog. Like, it it was bad. You know why? It wasn't bad. The peanut butter and jelly and graham crackers wasn't bad, was it? In fact, it was good. It was just the wrong time. And so it became bad. And if we're not careful, without spiritual maturity... We'll take something we want that's good and try to fit it into a bad time. And now we want to know why it's messing our lives and everybody we're connect to, connected to's lives up. And I just want you to know today that the reality is, is we don't achieve things because of time. 
we grow into what God wants us to inhabit. Little by little moment, by moment character, by character process, by process. You want to grow and you want to make an impact and you want to make it count? Listen to the Spirit of God. Get in the Word. Worship. Pray. Moment by moment. Growth by growth. It's coming. Don't you quit. Don't you give up. Don't you stop. I know you're waiting. Maybe it's not punishment. Maybe it's process. Let's grow into this thing. I want to pray with you today. And I would love to just pray that God moves us in this area. Let's pray. God, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not putting us into things too soon that will destroy us. And God, I pray that we'd walk out of here today and we'd live this spiritual maturity out. We'd walk out of here today wherever we are and we would live out your word. We'd love with reckless abandon. And we'd draw closer to you and your spirit. And let us just grow into what you have for us. God, we love you. We honor you in your name. Amen.